Lord, thank you yet for another day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to be together with people that we don't know as well as we'd like to, but thank you for the gift of relationship and friendship. Thank you for the many, many, many servants, men and women, young and old, who are giving themselves every day and every week so that we can enjoy your presence without distraction. And thank you for the gift of Hillsborough Stadium. Thank you for building that stadium so that Jesus would be lifted up. And thank you for providing the resources and the timing and the churches and the businesses all for this summer so that everyone in the metro area will know that your love is for them. And we pray in advance, even now months out, we pray in advance that people who are far from you now, that you'll keep drawing them closer and they'll step over the line of faith on August the 12th and be changed forever. That is our prayer, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you prepare us to be your people, to love and serve those that you love and died for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do uh, this morning. We're going to go back three weeks. Three weeks ago, before Easter and my cry fest last Sunday, uh, three weeks ago we were in a conversation from Romans uh, chapter 14, which if you've been here for a bit, we study through the Bible. We look at it little by little, and we try to get wisdom from it and see how we can live more like Jesus. And so we were in the middle of a conversation that we stopped uh, about how we manage conflict. And so if you're here this morning and missed that three weeks ago, no problem. Everything's online, audio, and our YouTube channel on video. You can watch it if that, that's helpful. But I'll, I'll recap. What difference does following Jesus make when it comes to living out the relational challenges that we all face? Every one of us has someone either at home, roommate, uh, or a relative, a neighbor, um, someone at work, or someone that you maybe knew years ago, but for whatever reason, something happened, and you, you, you hit a roadblock, and you're not able to press forward. We have conflict in all sorts of areas. What difference does following Jesus make when it comes to uh, dealing with people that might be a challenge? Or, or it were impossible to break through. A, a review from a couple of weeks ago, what we saw from Romans 14 and now into 15 this week is an, an acronym. It, it's not in the Bible, but it's a helpful way to, for, to remember it. When we hit conflict, there are at least three kinds of responses, and we'll just recap. There's the AIM, A-I-M was the acronym we used, and we could attack. So when someone disagrees with me, some of us by nature, or we've learned this, we go into attack mode and we try to win the argument. We want to win. We want to make our point. We want to be heard. We're right. They're wrong. And that may be the case, but that kind of attitude, if you want to really resolve and push through and live in harmony with other people, starting with an attack mode is always going to put us in a bad place. So we saw um, Romans 14 13, I'll just read it. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Instead of attacking, we realized that it's in my power. I have the ability to not put the roadblock. I have the ability to think it through and work it through. Uh, the second one and the second response is to ignore it. We, we saw that most of us aren't attackers we just, we just deny. We just think everything's going to get better. It's all okay. Or we just move away or distance ourselves and think that that unresolved conflict is just going to take care of itself. 
And sometimes it may make us feel better, but ignoring the problem doesn't necessarily change the problem, does it? And unfortunately, if we stuff something, it's just kind of like plumbing. You don't see it. going. But if there's a small drip, those of you in construction, there's a small drip going on and you don't see it, it's behind the wall. Eventually it becomes mold and a problem and, and not working on the issue isn't a healthy way. Don't ignore it. We saw Romans 14, 19 through 20. This is written to believers. Let us, you and me, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, to building up. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That was their, their issue. Their issue was around food. Don't destroy the work of God for that disagreement. Don't destroy the work of God for that situation. Don't destroy the work of God. You and I can be people of peace. And then the third one we saw was the healthiest way is to manage it. We can't always fix it. We can't always resolve it completely, but we can, we can manage, I can manage my response to what you do to me, and I could do it in a healthy way, and the Bible gives us insight on how to do that. So here's the plan. That was just a little bit of review. We're going to focus on managing it. We looked at attack and ignore in um, weeks prior. To do that, what I want us to do is read uh, Romans 15. We're going to start in verse 1, and I want you to look at it in your Bible, if you would, or get your app. We're not going to put all of these verses on the screen. It's really long. But I want us to see this morning two gifts that we've been given, or tools, to manage conflict. There are two that we're going to see right in this passage. And then four things that we can practically do from the teaching of Jesus. We'll go to Matthew 18 later to do that. So two things that we've been given, four things that we can do. And hopefully you write them down and and it's helpful to you. All right, Romans 15, we'll start in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Um, What does Paul do to kind of stimulate thinking on how to manage our, our real differences well? He points people back to Jesus. Notice, Jesus lived and modeled. Jesus is the one who shows. So this isn't like just abstract and I got to try to figure out what does it mean to handle evil that comes your way or misunderstandings. All you have to do, all I have to do is look carefully at Jesus and how people approached him. He was so misunderstood. He was misquoted. People said intentions about Jesus that were totally untrue. They twisted his words and they took the good that he did and they used it against him. Like he heals someone on a holy day and they say, see, he's not from God because he heals someone on the Sabbath, the holy day. Jesus does good and even then he's misunderstood. So in your suffering or in your misunderstandings, know this, you're not alone And Jesus, not only is he the savior, but he's also our leader and our model. So if I want to learn how to resolve conflict well, can I just suggest this? Before you're in a mess, look at Jesus. It's really helpful to study the life of Jesus again and again and again. Why? Because as you begin to see his pattern for living, when you're confronted with challenges, you might be ready to do what Jesus did. So so the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me Jesus, this is a quote here, Jesus takes the hit. In order to bring us to peace with God, Jesus 
doesn't do what he has the right to do is to go into attack mode and to say, I'm right and you're wrong. Jesus at the right time knows, okay, in order to make peace, those insults, I'm gonna take them and I'm not gonna lash out. They're killing me, even though I'm innocent, but I realize in the end, I wanna bring them close. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to hang on a cross. Only Jesus uniquely does that. But his pattern for approaching evil and heartache and wrongdoing is a model for how we can push through and bring peace. So the insults have fallen on me. Let's just keep reading. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that the, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The first tool or gift that we've been given, and write it down, is we have the word of God, the scriptures. Notice what, what, what Paul says here. Everything that's already happened, now everything that already happened wasn't good. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, this really happened? This is like in the pages. This is terrible. These wars, these conflicts, not everything in the Bible is good. As a matter of fact, people go from bad to worse, and that's not a good thing. But everything that happened and how God deals with people is actually instructive for our good. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. Let's just not make the same ones. See, God's given us a gift. And if you're a Jesus follower, you uniquely have this. You see, if you're not following Jesus yet, the Bible is just a book. It's just a thought. And it's not the word of God to you yet. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you realize God's not only given himself, he's given us thousands of years of track record of him showing people who are in the wrong how to come into the right. And Jesus, through the example of others, can pattern to you. You can see your attitude in the Bible. Ever just read the Bible and think, wow, why was this written for me? Like, who, why, why was everyone staring at me? You're alone by yourself. But you realize, like, this is talking to me. And if you haven't had that kind of experience, it's okay. You just need to know everything written is for you. So that means your situation, your conflict, your problem isn't new. Sometimes we feel like, man, this is happening to me. We like, this is like, man, why is, why is, no one else understands because this is, what I'm going through is unique. And yeah, the details may be slightly unique, but there's been a lot of history. You're not the first kid on the block and you won't be the last. And so what we see in the Bible is God's way of walking us into health and wholeness. And it's also an example of people who reject God and reject his wisdom and reject his ways. And so you see positive examples of people who are in a mess coming into wholeness. And you also see examples, plenty of them, of people who end up in a mess that goes from bad to worse and it never gets better. And the Bible gives us those real examples as instruction, as a guide. So you can look to the Old Testament and the New Testament, not just the New Testament, but all of the Bible to see what God has done. So when I'm hurt, when I'm confused, when I don't know what to do, it's, this sounds simplistic. It's, it's not, it's, it's life-giving. Can we just make it a practice? When we're hurt or when we don't understand what's going on, rather than going to the latest fad book, with someone with a PhD or some sort of expertise. I'm a fan of all truth. Can I just say that followers of Jesus, unfortunately today, look to someone with some sort of um, educational background or some sort of expertise as the primary source for how to make it through conflict or trouble. 
ignoring the Bible. Just ignoring the Bible. And why? Because that writer I can see on TV or I can watch online, I could read their work and just know as good as they may be, they're broken too. As, as, as smart as they may be, they're not all wise. What would happen if Jesus followers, we went to the Bible first and look to see what God has to say and then we look to others and we see how what they say aligns and confirms what God has said and when in doubt, skip a PhD and follow Jesus. Okay, now it's not a disrespect, I believe in education, I have it myself, but I just know we, teen the, we, we tend to lean on human wisdom too much. If, it, if it's not in scripture or if it contradicts scripture and you're a Jesus follower, I, I would just take it with a word of caution. All right, so we've been given the scriptures. Let's just keep reading. Verse five. He jumps in, in the middle of his teaching, he gives a prayer. Look what he says. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus Christ had so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second tool that we've been given, uh, we've been given the word of God, the scriptures. The second tool is we've been given the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. So, so what Paul is doing is he, for a chapter and a half, he's been talking about how to resolve because they are, were having real tension, like real, not a fight, but an absolute disagreement in their local church. Uh, to recap what was going on, when the church started, it was mostly Jewish with some non-Jews, and it was beautiful. Then the Roman emperor kicked all the Jews out of Rome, and they were gone for years. So these non-Jews, the Gentiles, took leadership in the church, and the church is growing. But now it's growing with a different group of leaders. Then a new emperor lets the, the Jews back into Rome, and they come back to the church, and it's really different because whenever you have a leadership change, you have real change, right? And so when they come back, they're not, the Jews are not in a position of authority, and then you can see the tension rise, you know? Even in church, people get on a power trip, don't they? It's true. And so they're trying to work out real differences in their organization. And so he says to them, you've been given the scriptures as a guide, right? And you've also been given God himself. May the God who gives endurance give you the same attitude. Paul prays for them right in the middle of this because he knows principles alone aren't gonna change things. So I could give you four steps to and seven steps and 12 steps and, and those are good. But what do we really need to see lasting change when you and I have conflict? Believer in Jesus to believer in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. We need the presence of God to step in and, and give us what we need in the moment. See, God can change my attitude. And oftentimes when it comes to conflict, it's attitude adjustments. It's not so much actions, although sometimes actions need to change. It begins with attitude adjustments. And what would happen if we went to the word of God first and to the presence of God first and said, God, before I meet with this friend that I'm wrestling with, see if there's any off way in me. And God, I'm asking you not to deal with them. I'm asking you to deal with me. And what if the other person came into a conversation, God, I'm gonna ask you to deal with them. I'm asking you to deal with me. And so this is the, I think, two huge tools that you and I have. We have the Word of God and we have the presence of God. Now this doesn't mean things are always going to be resolved, as we're going to see as we keep reading. But we know 
Here, the prayer is that they would glorify God. Look at verse six again. So with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal is that when we're going through anything, that we would give honor to God and live in a godly way, even if we end up not agreeing on the particular situation. You can honor God by going into it, asking that, Lord, whatever happens, even if we don't totally work it out, I want to honor you. How do we know that this can happen? Look at verse 7. Let's just keep reading. He ends with Jesus as the perfect example. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So, so Jesus glorifies God in the way that he lives, even though Jesus' life ends seemingly with a tragedy. God doesn't keep him from suffering. Jesus goes to the cross and dies. But yet he honors God with the way he gives himself up. So verse eight, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, verse nine, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, we don't have time to get into all of this, but what people didn't realize in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus is that what God was doing was bigger than anyone thought. The Jews thought when God sends the Messiah, who turns out to be Jesus, that the Jewish people are going to be liberated and, and, we're going to, and, and the shackles of Rome are going to be broken and we're going to live with freedom and power and we're going to be God's people what they didn't realize is God was doing something bigger than all that. He was taking the same sacrifice of the Jewish Messiah and he was going to save the world. In other words, even in the middle of your conflict, which is about one or two or three issues, those things are real, but we need to recognize God's doing something bigger. There's more that's going on and there's more at stake than that issue especially when it comes to fa family challenges. You may disagree with a sibling or mom or a dad, and gosh, we want to bring peace. But just know there's the argument, and there's you and that person, and there's getting resolution, but there's also everyone else. One sibling or another sibling, and if they can't work it out, you know who, who suffers? Everyone else, right? It's not just you and the person, and in the example of Jesus, what Jesus was doing was not just for one group. Jesus was doing it for everyone. And so the reason it's so important that we manage and try to work through our issues is because through the word of God and the presence of God, not only can me and that person find a way towards peace, again, even though it doesn't always work out according to plan, but we want God's bigger thing to rule and where families are in turmoil, it's the kids, it's the cousins, the nieces, it's the nephews that suffer. And so we want to think bigger picture. And so Paul points the people back to Jesus. Don't forget the example of Jesus. And remember, Jesus accepts broken people. Who, who of us had it together when you came to Jesus? How many of us, when you came to start following Jesus, like, Lord, thank you for saving the world. I'm doing okay. Thank you for accepting me. And like, I don't need much. No, we, we came to Jesus broken. We came to Jesus in need of forgiveness. And if, if God in Jesus can offer you forgiveness, can we not take steps to offer forgiveness to someone else? That's his point. Because God's given us Jesus as our prime example, you and I can take these steps. We can manage 
our differences. And believers, I'm talking to those of us who follow Jesus, when we do this, when we live this way, we're actually showing that the good news is really good news. Because God and Jesus choose to forgive us, because God and Jesus chooses to give us grace, when we humble ourselves and even at sometimes personal sacrifice say, you know what, I'm gonna take the hit in this scenario because I wanna bring peace and if it costs that, okay, we're showing that these good news is good news. And that if God and Christ can bring us forgiveness, certainly if I'm his child, I can offer it to someone else. Jesus came to bring peace with God and so we're to be peace-loving people. It doesn't mean it always works out according to plan. Sometimes the, the pain is so deep and the, and the problem is too big, but Jesus takes everything to bring peace and so we need to give it our, our whole effort. So what Paul does is after this, he, he gives the Jews an example of why they ought to make peace with those who aren't Jewish in the church. And so he gives a string of, of quotes. So we'll read from verse 10 on, from end of verse 9 uh, through, through the 13. And these quotes may not make sense to you, but he's pointing these quotes, he's pointing scripture to the Jews in the church to remind them, you don't agree with the lifestyle of non-Jews, the Gentiles, but they're your brothers and sisters. And if you don't believe me, and then he just gives a string of Bible quotes. Let's just read them. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing, of praises, sing the praises of your name. And then he gives another quote, verse 10. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And then he says another quote. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, which is a code word, the Jewish Messiah will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. And then this important added quote, in him the Gentiles will hope. So what, what Paul does is when he sees this group who's in real conflict, he does exactly the, the, the two things that I had mentioned earlier. He points to scripture and he goes to the Old Testament and he says, Jews, you're having trouble in the church accepting these non-Jews and the way they live out their faith. But you need to remember, and quote, 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 this is the big thing that God was doing. You can't point the finger to them and say they're not living the right lifestyle in Jesus because Jesus all along was trying to bring them in. God's plan from day one was Jew and non-Jew, you and me, living our faith in Jesus together. Unity, peace, that's been God's goal from the beginning, that he'd have one family with one Lord, even the Lord Jesus. And I'm repeating myself again and again, peace, 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 because it's when you and I can't get to the place where we resolve with one another that we can be pushing back the very thing that God is trying to do. God's interested in you going to heaven. Do you agree or disagree? That's why Jesus came. He came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and to bring us in the kingdom of light. But sometimes we forget that the, the next step is equally God's plan. God's plan for you and me is that we would live our lives in peace with one another and that we live as a body so that the world will believe that if God can do that with people, he could do anything. 
And when you and I live in peace with one another, when we work through, when we manage our conflict, it shows to those outside the church that there is a better way. Because in the real world, it's me take you out before you take me out. That is just the real world we live in. Yeah, if you and I follow Jesus and we follow his pattern, it can show that the gospel is really good news. Okay, two gifts that we've been given, the word of God and the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. My disclaimer every week, this is written to those who are in conflict with other Jesus followers. If someone doesn't have the Spirit of God, if someone doesn't, doesn't believe the Word of God, it's, it's not impossible to make it through conflict, but it's going to be a lot more challenging. But Paul's specific words are to you and me. In the church, we got to find a way to figure it out. All right, now what is Jesus? Let's turn the page a little bit. Why don't you turn in your Bible to Matthew 18, I promised before that we would go to Matthew 18 a couple of weeks ago and look at Jesus's, I think one of his um, definitive statements about, about how we work through uh, issues, especially when there's been sin, when someone has done something and wronged us, how do, we, um, how do we work it through? So Matthew 18, and we're just gonna read a couple of verses, uh, verses 15 through 17. Still there? I know talking through conflict is not the most exciting Sunday morning topic, but it's, uh, it's super important. Matthew 18 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out, point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that, quote, every matter may be established by the testimony of, of two or three witnesses. Notice what Jesus does. This is interesting. Jesus, in teaching on how to work through issues of sin, points to Scripture, right? That's fascinating. The author of life looks at the book. And Jesus says, just so that everything can be established by two or three witnesses, if, verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We've been given two tools. We've been given the word of God. We've been given the spirit of God. And because God has graced us with these two, we can manage, we can work through the issues. But Jesus gets very, very practical here. And so I want to look at four things that we can do. And we, we don't have time to look at this in depth, but right just at a, 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 just a glance reading, I see at least four things that we can do. Number one, we need to learn to overlook an offense. I want, I want us to see exactly what he says here. If a brother or sister sins, what we need to do is we need some discernment. Not every issue, not everything that's happened to us is actually a sin. Sometimes it's just people rubbing us the wrong way. Sometimes it's someone having a different idea. Let's just think about politics for a second. You may have a difference of agreement on a policy and there are Jesus-loving people who put policy above relationship with other people who follow Jesus. And I've heard it said, you know, you can't be, you can't agree with this policy and follow Jesus. Have you heard that? And, and it may be that that issue, whether that's uh, a hot topic or, or not, that issue, there's no way you can follow Jesus and agree with that policy. Like, wow, does that sound judgmental or what? 
And who in the world am I to say you're following Jesus or not? Now, I could say I don't see where that policy is in alignment with the word of God. I can, I can say that. But Jesus is really clear. When a brother or sister sins against you, we need to be really careful when it comes to dealing with differences that we don't make issues that are, are personality differences or ideological differences and put them in the class and category of sin. It could just be an honest difference. And so when in those situations, I would just encourage you, extend grace, especially in the small stuff. Extend grace to one another. By the way, when someone does something to me or does something to you, what we don't know is always why, do we? We don't know, we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I'll give you an example in my own world. Um, if you see me really like lashing out strongly for something that seems small, give me a Snickers bar. Like seriously, like hand me a Snickers bar because I will fly off the handle if I'm hungry. And it's a, it's a, it's a fact, everyone who knows me well knows it, I keep food in my car because if I get low on sugar, it's, I, just, I just snap into attack mode. And so if it's not a sin issue, it's like, wow, man, he's just getting a little hot for no reason. Extend grace and give me a Snickers bar. There's a commercial about that. Or, or, or a whole grain granola bar. Whatever you want. Whatever. <laughs> give me something. I need to eat. Not every issue is a sin issue. And so what I need is I have the word of God that defines what sin is and isn't. And I have the Holy Spirit. And so I, I need to ask the Holy Spirit first, is this, is this just a personality difference? Is this like my... Everyone has a high horse issue. You know, this is, this is my thing. This is my make or break. Is it that or is it really a sin? Second thing that we can do, let's, just, let's assume it is. We're in conflict and someone has really wronged us. This is, this is wrong. What do I do? Second thing I see that Jesus says to do is not only do I need to discern, I need to meet with the person. Notice, if your brother or sister sins, if it is a real issue, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, if they listen to you, then you have won them over. They listen. They listen to you. So if it's a real conflict, what I'm not going to do is post about it. This is, where, this is where the world we live in has become so dangerous, right? Because we air out our differences. And I can't believe this happened to me today. And most of us are smart enough not to put the person's name but we lash it out there, right? The problem with a feed is it's out there. And if, if you have an issue with me, like what, what, what should you do? Uh, you should come to me. Whether you know me well or, or not, we should find a way to talk about it. And here's the goal. Not that you prove to me that you're right or not that I prove to you that I'm right. Notice what Jesus says. If they listen, what I want to do is have the issue really heard and understood because sometimes the source of conflict isn't even really the issue. It's the misunderstandings around it. It's the attitude, like you came snapping at me or you didn't give me a chance to speak. And so when I come to you, it's not so that I can correct you even though you may need some correction. It's the goal is that you'll get a listening and you'll hear me, what I say, and my heart and my goal that we would work through this and we would actually become closer out of it, right? That's the goal. And if I could work towards that, I've, Jesus said, win them over. So I'm praying 
Lord, may they hear my heart. May they hear what happened. And God, in your mercy, will you open their eyes if there's something that they really are not seeing, it's a blind spot or whatever, that you would deal with them. That's the goal. Meet with the person. Now, that's scary, isn't it? Because sometimes, you know, especially if you're not one that's prone towards confrontation, it's just ignore it. And so what we're going to need to do is surround each other. And if you're in an issue with someone, here's what you have. You have brothers and sisters who you can share with and say, listen, listen I, I, need, I need God's courage to, to talk with someone. Don't bring it up with them. I need courage to talk with someone. Will you pray for me that God will enable me? And hey, we set an appointment and we're going to meet at noon on Tuesday. What I'm asking you to do is would you pray for me at noon on Tuesday so that I would have the courage to be humble and bring this up. Now, that may sound simplistic, but sometimes we, we miss the obvious. The third thing. So we need to first learn to overlook some offenses. Not everything's a sin. We need to meet with the person. Third thing we need to do is bring in other leaders. Sometimes it just doesn't work. You, you meet one-on-one or, or someone really doesn't hear you. You met, but no matter what you say, they're really not hearing it and they're actually ignoring it. What do you do? Now, if it's amongst other believers, if they will not listen, take one or two along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they refuse to listen, what do you do? Bring it to the church. So we bring in other leaders. You bring in a few other people that are trusted and, and wise. And you say, look, look, I tried and this is what I said. And this is the response that I got. And here's the challenge. This takes time, doesn't it? We want quick fixes. We want to move on. We don't want to to deal with this, but Jesus is saying that unity matters. And so I need to take the time to pray and take the time to go to the Word of God. I need to take the time to go to them. And then I need to find a couple of people. And the key word here is listen. Listen keeps coming up again and again and again. You want a good hearing. You want yourself to be heard and you want them to be heard. And, and we want to bring that, because we both follow Jesus, we want to bring that to him. Now, tell it to the church. To state the obvious, that doesn't give us the right to slander other people and talk about them. Well, could Jesus said, tell it to the church. Man, i got to let everybody know. This person's a jerk. I mean, and that's, not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying bring it to a few leaders. Don't gang up on them. What we want is wise counsel. Again, this doesn't happen in a moment, and it may take Weeks, it may take months. And I'm talking about this from experience. By the way, this is happening in our church right now. There are people going through stuff, whether it's in a marriage or with, with parents and kids or just people within the church that are having disagreements. All the time, there are people in these gatherings that are trying to work through conflict. Well done. Bring it up, bring a few people, and hopefully there'll be peace. But Jesus is also realistic about the broken world that we live in. So the fourth thing, write it down. Sometimes it will not work. And so if they refuse to listen, what does Jesus say? Tell it to the church. Refuse to listen to the church. Treat them as you would a pagan or a a tax collector. So Jesus knows sometimes you're not going to get to the end and see it eye to eye or they're not even going to listen to you. You can't fix every situation with everyone. And Jesus knows that. And so what he does say to do is, if in the end they won't listen, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, how many pagans and tax collectors? This is like a phrase. Like, what, what, what in the world does this mean? A couple of thoughts. 
Jesus is Jewish, right? He's born in the Jewish tradition, Jewish household. So, so there were insiders and outsiders, those who followed Yahweh, those who followed the Torah, the Bible, they, they met, they did life, and they treated one another in a unique way as a community, the family of God. And then there were those who were outside, right? Those who they did business with or interacted with or lived near, and they weren't brought in. They weren't brought into worship. They weren't brought into family life. And so what Jesus is saying is there may be the need to treat someone differently. Even, they, even though they are a Jesus follower, if they've hurt you and harmed you and they won't listen to you, they won't listen to two or three, they won't listen to the church, there are times where we have to exclude them from the community and say, you know what, you're, you're not hearing that you're in the wrong. And it's not just one person. Our community has looked at this issue and heard both sides and we realize that un until you repent and until you you see this sin for what it is, we need to keep you from, from the insider group, from, from our community, because you're not gonna bring health, you're not gonna bring wholeness, you're only gonna hurt, and, and that happens. Uh, it, the phrase we would call today is church discipline, and it has happened in, in our six years as a church. There have been times where we've had to, to tell people you're not welcome to gather here on Sunday and take the bread and the cup and worship with our family until you see your sin as sin and you repent and take steps to bring the relationship back to wholeness and we all see that you're in the wrong and for whatever reason you don't see it. And let me tell you, that is a painful discussion to have but it has to happen sometimes. So Jesus is not saying being stepped on, be stepped on, be stepped on but that, that's not the first step. <laughs> you hurt me, goodbye. Or I wish you would go somewhere else but there does come a time Sometimes where we have to say to someone, uh, you're not welcome here until you repent. But notice at the same token, how does Jesus treat tax collectors and quote unquote pagans with love, right? So we may have to ask them, you can't, you can't meet here, you can't come here because these things that you've done are wrong and you haven't made them right, but it doesn't mean that you talk bad about them. We treat them with love. We pray for them. We want things to be peaceful again, which is why Paul says in Romans 12, 17 and 18, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. So the goal is peace. And even though for a season we may have to say you're not welcome here and you can't come to our community, you can't be a part of our gathering because what you've done is so painful and you don't get it, at the same token, if it's possible, we're, we're going to do what's right and we're not going to go eye for eye and we're not going to repay evil for evil and we're going to pray that God's grace would bring them back. All right, bringing it full circle. How do we respond here in worship? We don't attack we don't ignore. Instead, we're going to invite God, the Holy Spirit, and we're going to focus our attention on Scripture to guide us in a way that can bring about peace, which is why Paul prays. And I want to end with this. Verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Twice in this passage, Paul goes to prayer. And so that's where we want to end because this is hard. 
Jesus, we're going to pray this morning. Jesus, we need endurance. Working through issues is hard, isn't it? And sometimes, especially when the pain is deep, it's easier just to walk away than to work it through. And so we need to ask and invite the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we need encouragement when nothing seems to change. You ever just pray and pray and pray and try and, and they don't change. Or we don't see a change in our own heart. And so we need to ask, may the God who brings peace come and fill us. Jesus, we need you to come in and, and change my attitude, adjust my attitude. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to look at our own heart and see if there's something in us that's off. Maybe the way we're approaching them just isn't right. It's not healthy. It's not life-giving. And in the end, we want to pray, Lord Jesus, unite us. Jesus, unite us. Make us one. I just pray that in the situation that you're going through, that the grace of Jesus Christ, that the love of God, that his mercy and his power would step in. And even this week, if you're dealing with an issue with a person, Lord, that this week you would see a breakthrough. And I want to invite you to pray that way, that there would be peace in our church, peace in our families, peace in our relationship, and that way we would be whole. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, and we're going to respond and worship. This morning, if you're here and you're dealing with an issue, just know you're not alone. You're not alone. There are lots of people dealing with all sorts of stuff, but we want to invite God, the Holy Spirit, to come and to work not only in us, but to work through us to be people of peace. Lord, uh, we thank you this morning that you love us enough that you take our own rebellion and you expose it with a view towards removing the sin and the shrapnel, all that does in our world, and bringing us to life and life in the full. So, so Lord, you're doing a work in our own life and we're grateful. And so we worship you. Lord, we pray, God, especially for those of us, well, maybe it's not us this morning, but our brothers and sisters who are walking through difficult places with difficult people. Lord, may mercy rule this week. May your power come. Holy Spirit, may you come and work on both sides of their hearts. Lord, that people would find a middle path. And, and even if right now, a total reconciliation and, and harmony isn't possible, Lord, protect our hearts, we pray from becoming bitter, from becoming angry, from becoming hurtful. Jesus, again, we say we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, as we worship you and deal with us at the deepest levels.